Hey, this is Trevor, and for myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to episode 214. This time around, you are joined by writer-director, producer Evan Spiliotopoulos, and actors Cricket Brown and Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Hear about their amazingly fun new horror film from Sam Raimi and Rob Tappard's Ghost House Pictures. You know them, you love them. Evil Dead, Drag Me to Hell, the list goes on. The Unholy. At time of release in theaters April 2nd. Learn about how they crafted the world of the film with immersive sound design and visual effects. Jeff and Cricket let you in on their character development and finding their own voices within them. Be astonished at the real-life incidents of Vatican-sanctioned miracles and the investigation team behind them, and so much more. Plus, Jeff gives you an exclusive preview of the Negan Origin episode coming up this weekend on The Walking Dead. So much fun for you, the horror fan on the way. Episode 214 starts now. First one's free. Then what I say? I said I will shut that shit down. You think there could be other forces at play here? When God builds a church, the devil builds a chapel next door. Don't doubt her. Doubt weakens faith. Hail Mary, full of grace. Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. This is not the work of the Virgin Mary. It's the work of the unholy. Faith in evil empowers evil. Believe in her. Offer your soul to Mary. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio are three impactful and immersive storytellers, each singularly not only crafting wonderfully entertaining art, but art that has transformed the medium. She is an actor, writer, and director as a graduate of the University of North Carolina School of the Arts 2019. She's been in several short films, including the award-nominated Prayer, and is a prolific playwright and theater performer. Also joining us, a Critics' Choice Award-winning actor who's been a part of iconic TV from the Golden Globe-winning Grey's Anatomy and The Good Wife, Emmy-nominated Supernatural, film work including Solace with Sir Anthony Hopkins, Heist with De Niro, and 2018's Rampage. He changed pop culture history in bringing to life Negan on The Walking Dead. Finally, a creator and producer whose work is steeped in whimsy and fun with a touch of enchanting darkness. As a writer, he's built the worlds of Winnie the Pooh and Mickey Mouse, the screenplays for Cinderella 3, to The Nutty Professor and Hercules 2016's The Huntsman, Winter's War, the Oscar-nominated Beauty and the Beast, Charlie's Angels, and much, much more. The thing that brings these three together is a new film called The Unholy. It's about the investigation in Marvel concerning a series of miracles that occur in a small New England town after a supposed visitation from the Virgin Mary. We are honored to welcome its writer-director, Evan Spiliotopoulos, and stars Jeffrey Dean Morgan and Cricket Brown. Yeah! Can I just say that was the single greatest introduction I've heard 
ever. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's that was, so nice. That was on fire. <laughs> Congratulations on the unholy. It is such a blast. Before we get into it, I just wanted to go around the room and ask what everybody's earliest impactful experience with the horror genre as a viewer was and how it made you feel. Hmm. I think for me, for I'll start. For me, it was uh, a little boy watching the monster movies, the the Hammer films. I think I remember very vividly seeing Frankenstein for the first time, seeing Christopher Lee's vampires come to life, Count Dracula, and then I think as I got a little bit older, I lived in the height of the Exorcist and the Omen and the Rosemary Babies of it all, and. That's what made me fall in love with the genre. How about you, Cricket? Hi, guys. Thank you for that intro. I love this question because it's so specific for me. It wasn't actually a horror film. It was one of the scary movies. Like, I think Scary Movie 3. Oh, interesting. That I watched randomly as like a 10-year-old with my older brothers. And I was fine watching it, but I went to bed that night. And the character Jigsaw from Saw, like, ruined my sleep for, like, a year straight. Like, I had reoccurring dreams of that character. And from that point on, like, wrote off horror as a genre. Um, And then it wasn't until, like, a few years ago, I think, like, with Ari Aster and these new horror films coming out that I, like, really got back into it. Um, But I was pretty, I was pretty scared early on and, and avoided it. And how about you, Evan? Uh, I grew up in Greece where we don't have a rating system. So they'll throw on horror movie trailers and animated features. And when I was six years old, I went to see like an Asterix and Obelix movie. And they had The Exorcist, the original Exorcist. On. And I never, I, the <laughs> image, image of Pazuzu manifesting behind Linda Blair in, in the <laughs> burned itself in my memory. And this is before, clearly before, before I saw the movie. And that was definitely my first experience and my most dynamic experience with horror. Wow, that's a great answer. The Path to the Unholy begins with a book released back in 1983 called The Shrine by James Herbert. So Evan, talk to us about your discovery of the book and not only that, but the journey and the passion that you had to make it your feature debut as a director. What elements of that story sung the loudest for you? So I read Stephen King's Dance Macabre, which is a nonfiction novel length essay about the horror films and horror literature that influenced him when I was 13. And at the end of the book, he has a list of the great authors that he loves. James Herbert was on it. So I started voraciously devouring all of Herbert's work. And I read The Shrine and I was already a film buff. So I kind of saw that Shrine was a marriage between Billy Wilder's Ace in the Hole and The Exorcist for me. And Ace of the Hole, of course, is a corrupt, morally corrupt journalist, uh, manipulates a story with victims for his own benefit. And I just love the idea of taking the journalism thriller and marrying it with a supernatural thriller. And um, I thought nobody had done that before, possibly the Kolchak movies of the early 70s, but really in a really scary way. I really wanted to write this. And so as I entered the film business and started getting jobs as a screenwriter, I asked studios to buy it for me. And then in 2019, Screen Gems agreed, except they also wanted me to direct it. And I accepted thinking that at some point, somebody's going to come to their senses and bring in an adult. (laughs) (laughs) And here we are. So, 
in crafting this, I mean, a lot of the rabbit hole there, there's a rabbit hole that you can go down with the Marian apparitions in the sense that I didn't even know this. It's just like in the film, I've heard of a few, but the Vatican and bishops do investigate and approve them and give them a seal of validity. And that's a whole conversation, right? There's like 26 of these miracles in existence today. And what's great about it is actually how they investigate, because the uh, postulator uh, or inquisitor that the Vatican sends is a priest whose job actually is to disprove the miracle. Their job is to use modern science, medicine and technology to show that this isn't a real miracle, because if they fail, that makes it a miracle. And the reason they take such a counterintuitive approach is because if a miracle is just accepted sight unseen and then later on is proven to be a hoax uh, or has a logical explanation, um, people's faith will be punctured. So they, the, the priest, must do everything in their power to disprove it. And if they fail, it's real. And that strengthens faith. Jeff, we love seeing you on screen, my man. And you make this downtrodden journalist so likable and rich and a really fun conduit for an audience member to take this journey with because he's also very skeptical, just like us. And he has fooled people in the past, right? What jumped off the page for you and what did you like about the way that your character was written? Well, exactly that. I think exactly what you said. I think that he had an arc. Um, I, when we meet him, he's uh, his moral compass is obviously shot. He is down in the dumps and through Cricket's character and these events that he witnesses, he gets to go on his very own journey of kind of becoming a decent human again. I love that what Evan did was he he made this character a full fleshed out character. He there wasn't one note to play. There was places to go. And so as an actor, really, that's all you want. You want something to be able to dig into and play. And and I got a lot to play here. Uh, And we got to slip in some, I think, some humor, uh, some charm into a movie that normally you don't get to see a lot of that in, which to me kind of makes the story even more believable. And then, you know, I think when he runs into, you know, Cricket's Alice, I think that 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 skeptic in him is what anybody, I think most people probably how they would react to it. And you see this kind of friendship, this bond occur between these two characters. And again, this was, you know, on the page, Evan did a really good job of putting this on the page, but then, you know, uh, sitting across from, from cricket uh, and her Alice, that was the most fun I had in the movie. The scenes I liked the most were with those two characters. And that's just a testament, I think to, to cricket. I was sort of along for the ride. I'm going to ride her coattails. The Boo Crew will be right back. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. 
And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. There was a little girl, and she had a little curl right in the middle of her forehead. And when she was good, she was very, very good. And when she was bad, she was... The Little Girl Who Lives Down the Lane, starring Jodie Foster, the sensation of Taxi Driver and Bugsy Malone, in another superb performance as Rin, who seemed all sugar and spice, but something not so nice was buried out in her garden. You can thank heaven for little girls, but you can thank hell for The Little Girl Who Lives Down the Lane. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Cricket, where where can we begin? You are mesmerizing as Alice. There is something astonishing about you as an actor and this character really gives you a chance to really make an impact. What was the path to finding her and how you took this opportunity to create really spectacular moments? Thank you for saying that. Thank you, Jeffrey, too. Yeah, I mean, Alice is so cool. Alice is a a character that I think a lot of actors would dream of the opportunity to play she she her body and her mind are put in such crazy circumstances a lot of those circumstances i was batting a thousand for i was really trusting because they are supernatural experiences i worked with a dream coach who kind of gets it's a, it's another way to get intimate with the material a very subconscious way, which I felt was applicable as she is being kind of summoned and called through a supernatural like sphere mm-hmm. and state. So it was, it was a lot of like things that I wasn't taught in drama school, like a lot of things that I couldn't quite write down and a lot of trust and a lot of help from Evan and Jeffrey and like the circumstances, like just reminding myself of the circumstances, but it was, it was kind of out of my hands too, at a certain extent. Sure. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. It's something we're so curious about and it's something that is done so eloquently by everybody in the film is portraying a sense of wonder and whimsy without being campy. What's the secret of bringing that together and creating that environment where you don't cross that line? Is that a question for you, Evan, or is that a, an actor thing? What do, what do you guys think? It's a combination. I think it's a combination of everybody. I think 
I think, uh, you know, Evan was really good at kind of painting the picture. Yeah. Um, and then it's our job to kind of sit around and interpret that together. You know, the three of us in particular uh, worked a lot together on kind of what are we seeing here and what each character would be feeling when they are seeing that. I think, you know, at first for my character, it was more like I'm seeing money signs. You know, he's like, oh, God, I'm on to something here that's uh, uh, going to pay the bills here for a bit. I, I think Alice is seeing something completely fucking different. But in order to get that all kind of melded together, that's really Evan and, and a great job of editing, I might add of kind of bringing those scenes together. Like the little boy, I think the first thing we witness is the little dude walking, uh, standing uh, for the first time. And, and I remember that. And I think uh, it was really, Evan did a, such a good job, of, I think, of putting us in a position where we couldn't fail. Yeah, you know what I mean? I like, I, I, I felt very safe in the fact that it wasn't going to be eggs on our faces at all. And you know, whether, you know, and, and to get us into it, Evan would play music sometimes. He would talk through with his little microphone to because there was a lot of us. And, and some of the stuff we shot was post-COVID. And so there was a lot of social distancing and trying to work that into it, like these crowd scenes and stuff um, was kind of, that was the miracle of the film. But I, I give a lot of it to, that has to be the director. That's really up to the director kind of set the, set the mood and make that all work. Yeah, the sense of wonder and amazement and, and witnessing a miracle and what that would be. You can do as much research as an actor as you want. And, and that doesn't mean shit. If, if on the day when you're filming it, you it's, it, it's not built around you. And Evan did a good job of building that around us. And so it worked. Thank God, because if you don't, it is a big egg on the face moment for all of us. And we're probably not sitting here talking to you right now. (laughs) (laughs) Right. The props in this movie are insane. They're like eye candy. The Kern doll and the old books. Did anybody keep anything from the production? Uh, Felicity Abbott, our production designer, has everything, and we hate her for it. We want hundred dollars to steal it. But uh, she is primarily, she and Michael Stone, the set uh, decorator, are primarily responsible. And of course, we did a ton of research because the backstory of our movie is in 1845. So that current baby that you see is an actual doll recreation from the style that they use in 1845. And by the way, I think in the context of a horror movie, any doll is scary. Like the cutest doll imaginable is scary when all the other stuff is going all around. But uh, these people did a very, very good job grounding the history of our film. And I think it comes across. You didn't steal the Kern baby. I did. I tried to, they, they stole it back. What? Yeah. Yeah. That's wow. your, that's yours. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I might even have a Kern baby. I'm not going to say, but it's possible. I have one. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to mention also this, uh, how sound is, you were saying he would play, Evan would play music on set and everything, but sound is such an important element in the story. It's the first thing that we are immersed into with that very first scene. It brings us into the world of Alice as well. And the trees whispering, there's so much immersive sound design going on. It's a real sensory ride. Tell us about bringing us that experience, Evan. 
Sound is a massive element in any film, but specifically supernatural thrillers, because you're creating an entire design around how does your ghost sound? How does it laugh? How does it breathe? Uh, silence is equally important to a horror movie than, uh, than actual sound, because it's those pregnant pauses before something happens. Um, so, you know, it's a very much a combination of sensual experiences. I mean, the visuals created by Craig Robleski, our director of photography, the production design I mentioned, the performances that you have, and the sound. Our, the team that uh, did Charlie's Angels did this one as well. Oh, wow. Have the experience with them. But um, they are gurus in their field. By the way, I really have to mention Jeffrey said about how I played music on the set. It was basically two scores. It was the Goblins. Suspiria, the original Suspiria. Beautiful. And, oh, awesome. And for the miracle scenes, it was Ennio Morricone's score from Exorcist 2, which has a great soundtrack. And finally, it was also um, uh, the, uh, the uh, bringer of light from uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey for the scene where uh, Al speaks for the first time. Oh, that's marvelous. Want to go to you, Cricket, too. There's a scene where you're singing to William Sadler. Is that you actually singing? Yes. Oh, wow. um, originally, originally, I lip synced it because we thought, let's not use my voice. And then I don't know, Evan, I wanted to ask you why you turned around and said, could you sing this? And I said, <laughs> let's lower the key and let me get some voice lessons in. And um, yeah, that is my voice. What happened, guys, is we, we separated when uh, uh, Cricket lip synced it. We separated the sound of the uh, original song that, that we used and the sound of Cricket singing and she can sing. So we were like, let's just use her voice. Wow. Her in the trailer that's her in the movie. She can sing. Beautiful job. I hope we get a soundtrack like on vinyl from Waxwork or something for this. That'd be amazing. And we can't wait to hear you sing more Cricket. That's insane. <laughs> well, we got to finish off because uh, the fans are going to kill us if we don't ask about this. But Jeff, final season of Walking Dead kicks off this summer. Before then, we are getting this much anticipated Negan origin story episode this weekend. Yeah. In, in yeah, your yeah. eyes, as someone so close to him, what does this backstory do to serve the experience of this guy to the fans? Well, if you're a fan of Negan, I think you're going to really love the story. If you hate Negan, I think you're really going to love the story. Ah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good. It was, uh, it was very special to do and uh, getting a chance to do it. With my wife was even more amazing, but you know, as a fan of, you know, I'm a comic book nerd and, you know, I, I read the walking dead comic books before I was ever involved in it. And so I was completely aware of Negan and, and the here's Negan was kind of a standalone that Kirkman had done, uh, which essentially is kind of how Negan came to be Negan. And so COVID, the one good thing that I think came of this whole thing for me was getting the opportunity to go and shoot the here's Negan story that wouldn't have happened without a pandemic going on. And, uh, it was just, uh, it was cool. It was super cool. It was super emotional. It was very hard. It's the most they'd ever asked of me, certainly as an actor, to bring to the table. And getting a chance to work with Hillary, I think, was uh, uh, something I'll never forget. So, super cool. I'm excited for people to see it. It's a big weekend. It's a big weekend. Sure is, morning. guys. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Amazing. We well, again, <laughs> thank you guys all so much for your time. You've been so wonderful. And seriously, we love this film so much. And you know what? It's a great gateway horror film as well. We're going to show our kids as well. Uh, this is one of those ones that uh, will bring people yeah. into the genre for sure. Yeah, I'm going to show it to Gussie too. I'm going to show it to my boy. He, he's seen enough of the trailer. So 
And he actually came to set before the COVID of it all and spent a couple of days and uh, hung out with me and Cricket and Katie. So he's very excited to see. But yeah, it is a good gateway film. That's great, That's guys. Awesome. awesome. Well, it's been Thank a joy you. talking to you. Thank you all so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. All right. Later, guys. Well, I do believe Lucille's getting a little jealous. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 214. Special thanks to our guests, the amazing Cricket Brown, Evan Spiliotopoulos, and Jeffrey Dean Morgan. At time of release, check out The Unholy in theaters April 2nd. Production tracks for this one provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it is a Boo Crew saying sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand. And Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Chen, chopped and sliced by Trevor Chen. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy or disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.